Welcome to Strength for Today's Pastor, conversations with current senior pastors and leaders which will strengthen and help you in your pastoral ministry. And now, here's your host, Bill Holdridge of Poyman Ministries. Welcome to podcast 117 of Strength for Today's Pastor, and it's a blessing to have with us today Pastor Brian Hill of Calvary Chapel, Cincinnati, Ohio. Brian and I met face-to-face for the first time just last week at the Calvary Chapel Midwest Pastors Conference, and I had heard of Brian from the fact that Poyman Ministries had been involved in a transition of that church from their previous pastor who had passed away to Pastor Rick and now to Pastor Brian. So, Brian, three years in the saddle, and boy, the Lord's really taught you a lot. Welcome to the program. It's great to have you. Thank you so much, Bill. And believe it or not, you and I have actually met a couple of times out in California, and I sat under uh, some of your teachings and some of the split-out sessions. So I've always been uh, blessed by uh, having some brief conversations with you and your teachings. So this is a privilege. Thanks for having me. Okay. Well, I'm sorry for sorry for not remembering that. <laughs> it is okay. It is okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, you're very gracious. So um, married to your wife, Kim, 15 years, uh, two children. Um, and, uh, you know, happily involved in ministry. You're just a joyful kind of a guy uh, doing what you do. You got a smile that lights up a room. So it's all great. And I'm just really looking forward to hearing some of your thoughts and what you've learned over the years, because these are lessons in life and lessons in ministry. So let's start out uh, going back, uh, your thumbnail version of your testimony, you, you had a difficult upbringing and a challenging upbringing. So maybe you could tell that story. Yeah, real briefly. So uh, I grew up and my uh, uh, mom was a mentally ill alcoholic. And the story that I always just kind of mentioned to put in perspective, I remember being eight or nine years old and being served a plate for dinner that was crawling with maggots. And, you know, even at that young age, I realized that things could always be worse. But my dad had always mandated that we read the Bible. And so even as a young man, I would be in the word, I'd be reading the Bible, and certainly it wasn't a consistent walk, uh, but I would be reading the Bible. However, I would not find myself actually attending church until I was in my early 20s. So there's definitely a big gap of time there where I didn't have much discipleship at all. Well, the thing that's great about that is that you were reading the Bible. I mean, that was something that was a part of your life in in one way or another. And so you would return to that. How did that happen? Yeah. So, you know, my uh, my life verse, even as a young teenager, was 2 Corinthians 4.17, which says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So no matter how bad our circumstances may be, we know this is all just temporal. James says our life is but a vapor, and we're going to be spending eternity in heaven, and that's where truly our hope is found. Yeah. Amen to that. So as you... Um, developed, you you uh, eventually got into your career, and it's an interesting kind of a career path, and quite a dramatic shift from that career path into the senior pastorate. So maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so briefly, uh, I, I got into management when I was 17 years old, and 
Uh, it was truly the hand of God because by my nature, I'm an introvert. Uh, but, you know, throughout all those years of management, I eventually rose to become the vice president of a Fortune 500 corporation. Uh, and that's what brought me down from New York, where I'm from. I'm from Rochester, New York, brought me down from there to Cincinnati. I had to take over a subsidiary company. And uh, it was just, you know, it was the hand of the Lord. It was brutally difficult sometimes. But, uh, you know, when the Lord is in it and you have the scriptures to back up how he's leading you down a path, you know, with confident assurance that, you know, where God guides, he provides and he's faithful. Then he's faithful. Now faithful. He will ever be. It's remarkable that you got into leadership so quickly, so earlier in your life. And we're going to circle back to that, uh, in, in just a minute and talk more about that. But, uh, going back from that, you uh, had mentioned to me in our earlier conversation that you had a connection at some point early on with Mike McIntosh and what that has meant to you. Mike McIntosh, for those that are listening that don't know him, he longtime founding pastor of Horizon Christian Fellowship in San Diego, retired from that ministry now, uh, an evangelist and a pastor. He's a unique combination a tr tremendously unique individual and wonderful blessing to many. And so anyway, you had a, a connection with him. Talk about that relationship and what that meant with you. You know, I've always viewed Mike as almost like a, a, a Billy Graham for call it my generation. You know, he's gone throughout the world preaching the gospel and just faithful, right? Just faithful day in and day out. And one day the Lord told me that I needed to reach out to him and I resisted it. And the Lord kept prompting me on my heart, like you need to reach out to him. And, you know, I'm like, well, that's Mike McIntosh and I'm me. I'm brand new in ministry. Who am I? And uh, one day the Lord just asked me quietly in my heart, why am I so afraid? Hmm. And so I just uh, broke down with tears in my eyes. I said, okay. So I made a few phone calls and got a hold of Mike. And we were on the phone a few days later and he said, well, yeah, sure. I'll come to Cincinnati and, you know, and teach and talk with you and all that. And uh, it's been able to blossom into a friendship ever since. And you know, again, I look for men such as yourself, Bill, who are faithful year in and year out, who know what it's like to just continue to keep their hand to the plow. And, um, you know, young men such as myself need to have those mentors uh, in our lives because they show the faithfulness of the Lord. So you're, I'm going to guess you're mid 30s, late 30s, somewhere in there. I'm 43 years 43. old. 43. Okay, you got a young face, so keep that look. That's, <laughs> yeah. that, that works for you. Anyway, right, a, right. Young, a younger man than yeah. me, anyway. Um, <laughs> but you have something to say there in what you just said about seeking out older men that can be mentors, examples to you, that type of thing. That was intentional on your part. And you had to yes. get past an initial fear barrier to be able to actually do that but it yielded great benefits and dividends in your life. So talk, talk to the younger pastor. And so we're talking about, you know, millennials, uh, and you're kind of like, uh, at the, you're the, the beginning of the buster generation, right? I think I, I'm generation X. I am Gener generation Gen X. X. Okay, good. <laughs> all right. So I want to make sure I get all my letters correct. Anyway, that's who you are. Talk to that, that whole field that whole spectrum of individuals because you know from my end 
you know, having retired from a church I pastored for years, I know in, in speaking with a number of older pastors who are either a bit ready to retire or thinking about retiring, one of the things they deal with is, is there going to be anything for me to do? Is there going to be anything beyond the senior pastorate? Is there, am I going to be relevant? Am I going to be viable? Can God use me at that? But they, they can be used in many, many ways, and this is one of the ways. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, and you know, and I would I would say it's not just they can be used; they need to be used. You know, so often when a younger, uh, call it more inexperienced person, in in age is is relative, right? It's about that experience. When you come into the pastorate, you don't know what you don't know, and so so much of it is a learning process, and it can sometimes feel like you're drinking from a fire hose, mm. and you're just completely overwhelmed. Well, having those godly mentors, other pastors who have the experience that can not only provide biblical guidance to you, but they can also just be that sounding board when you say, hey, you know, I've got a question and I'm not sure how to handle this. You know, what's what's your um, opinion or have you ever experienced that before? And that can yield such results because I want to avoid mistakes as much as possible. I think we all would. And one of the ways the Lord has allowed all of us to do that is by learning from that older generation that has those experiences. Uh, Now, to be sure, they're not replacing the Holy Spirit or anything like that, but to be able to have those godly influences come around you. And we all think of Paul and Timothy, right? Timothy needed that guidance from Paul, and it's wisely been said, that every person and pastors too should have a Paul whom they can go to and a Timothy whom they are going to. And it's just so critical in ministry, especially in the pastorate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a good word. So it's an encouragement to the younger guys to seek out some of those older guys to be that for them. And it's an encouragement to the older guys to realize that this is something you can do and should do. It's, it's necessary. That's a, yeah. That's 100% right. And, you know, so often there can almost be, in my experience, what I've seen is a tension where the younger, uh, less experienced doesn't want to feel like they're yielding control or that they don't have it all together. Um, And sometimes those who are uh, a little bit more seasoned can feel like, well, you have to do it this way. So grace is needed on both parts, both having their eyes set upon the Lord. So that's certainly a needed balance. But again, it's it's such a beautiful thing uh, when both are humble and seeking the Lord. With regard to grace, so you told me something that Mike McIntosh taught you about receiving God's grace. I'd like you to share that. That that's really great. Great stuff. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, One of the things that Mike told me early on in our conversations was to receive God's grace gracefully. And it took me a little while to, to understand that. And I'm still obviously learning it. But what it's really talking about is, you know, as pastors, we're used to pouring ourselves out on behalf of others. That's what we're called to do. Right. We are we are chief servants. We we serve, we serve, we serve. Well, receiving God's grace gracefully means as others come and they serve us, as they perhaps want to buy us a meal or do something for us, I think our natural tendency tendency is to say, no, 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 I've got it, I've got it. 
Well, receiving God's grace gracefully means accepting those things. And again, not pursuing them, but accepting them because you don't want to rob a blessing from someone else either. And so receiving God's grace is just, again, with that humility and heart, accepting what the Lord has given on behalf of that other person. And that can be a challenge for us sometimes because our nature is to just serve, serve, serve. And then you told me that he said to you, and don't try to pay the grace back. That's right. Yeah. And you can't, right? Because then it's not grace, but we all have that, that tendency within ourselves to try to do that, to try to one up and say, well, I don't owe you anything anymore because I did this. And, and that's not grace. Just as the Lord has lavishly given us his grace, we need to do the same and not only giving grace, but allowing others to give grace to us. Yeah, right. So you, you came into a church situation where the church, um, needed a new pastor because the the pastor that came in after the death of the founding pastor um, was called back to California. And so now they needed a pastor. You were on staff as the youth pastor, I understand. Is that accurate? So I, so I wasn't on staff, but I was actively, Acti- actively the youth pastor, yes. Okay, all right. So you were familiar with ministry, getting a little more in tune with the operations and things that were going on in the church. And then uh, you emerged as the guy. So talk about that transition. I mean, obviously, Poyman has been involved in many church transitions in one way or another. It's always interesting to hear about how transitions go. So what were the things that went well? What were the things that were challenging? Yeah, so, you know, given my, you know, many years of uh, corporate experience, I recognized, you know, early on that, you cannot run a church like a corporation. You just can't. However, there are some leadership principles that transcend both corporations and ministry. So things like clear communication, having clear expectations, those type of things are necessary in any relationship, whether it's a spousal relationship, business relationship, or a ministry relationship. So I think having that experience to know um, the necessity of some of that clear communication of, okay, here's the game plan. Here's what we want to do. Let's go forward with like, let's say a a local outreach. Um, Some of the challenges were, um, you know, change. As human beings, we're all resistant to change because change is really a representative of death of something within us. It's death of a routine. It's death of the familiar. And because of that, we have to adjust. And so anytime a new pastor comes in, there's always going to be different uh, changes or perhaps different directions or callings or emphasis. And so, you know, that's always difficult for people. One of the things I learned from Warren Wearsby's book on being a servant of God, it's something I've tried to keep uh, in mind is, is if the commander goes too far out in front of the troops, he'll be mistaken for the enemy. And so as a pastor, you have a million things that you want to do and accomplish, and you need to move slowly. And sometimes I've done a pretty good job of that. Other times I failed miserably at that. And it's still a learning process. But, you know, the transition has been uh, once just been blessed by the Lord. It's it's, it's been incredible. And, you know, I've been asked a lot, you know, do I miss the corporate world and, you know, the things I got to experience in my position? And the answer is no, I've never looked back with longing not even for a second. I, I, no place I'd rather be. So I, I love that quote that you quoted from Wearsby, and, and that's a huge part of leadership, isn't it? Um, 
And why don't you repeat that again? Because that's a that's sure. worth it. Yeah. Yeah. If the commander goes too far out in front of the troops, he'll be mistaken for the enemy. Now, this is what surprises a lot of pastors, especially in a pastor-led church, that the thing that God has given them as a vision to do and the thing that they want to implement and the thing that they want everybody to get excited about, they're surprised that it takes a while for that to germinate within the hearts of people and for them to catch up with the enthusiasm and the vision that the pastor received. So you're talking about two things now. You're talking about leadership and communication, which is such an important part of leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And in part of that, um, call it, I don't want to say delay, but let's just say delay for lack of a better term and, you know, germinating in the hearts of the people is, you know, ministry is 100% of our lives. That's what we do. But most of the folks that we're involved with have other careers, they have other obligations, family things. And so for them, as much as the church and the ministry and the building and all these things are number one priority, first thing on our mind, other than the Lord, it's not the same way for other people. So we have to allow the Lord to work in people's hearts, right? We all know it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And so if as leaders, we just try to head down shoulder and plow through what can end up happening is we begin plowing over the very people we're called to love and serve. That's a good word. At this time, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. We're speaking with Pastor Brian Hill of Calvary Chapel, Cincinnati, Ohio. You've been listening to Strength for Today's Pastor. Appointment Ministries appreciates your participation and prayers. If you'd like to help financially support this podcast, you can go to our website at appointmentministries.com forward slash donate. Thank you. Well, let's go back to uh, the bigger picture of, of leadership because it started happening in you, you told me, uh, at the age of 17. And you know, as I think about leadership, I think about the time in a leader's life when he or she begins to self-identify as a leader. In other words, there's an awareness. This is something that I am. This is something that I do. And this is likely to be transferable in any kind of a situation I, f- I might find myself in. So talk about leadership and 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 how that happened to you and, and what that means um, well, we've already talked about it a little bit, but what that means in terms of, of leading a church. Sure. So, you know, it's similar to what we so often hear in ministry. You're not given a title first. The title is merely just affirmation of what the Lord is already doing, right? And it's the same with leadership, in my opinion. I've had the privilege to not only be a leader for more than two decades now, but I've also appointed many leaders um, up under me and watched them rise and grow. And what you're always looking for are the people who are taking the roles and responsibility of a leader, even though they don't have that title. So as people are starting to be drawn to that person, as they are leading by example, as they do all of those things, you start to see the Lord's calling in their life in that particular area. And that's certainly true in leadership and ministry as well. So when Jesus talked about leadership to the centurion, Um, And the centurion responded to him saying, I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go here and do this, and they do it. And Jesus marveled at the faith of this man. 
But he recognized in Jesus that Jesus was a man under authority that had soldiers under him, so to speak. And so that speaks of something having to do with leadership too. A leader has to be led. A leader has, right. leader has to come under authority. And the senior pastor, the authority is, is the Lord Jesus Christ supremely. But you in your life, you had what you call a stripping process, which brought you into sanctifying what leadership meant in your life. That, this is really interesting because we all go through it, a stripping process. So talk about your stripping process. Yeah, so this is a, a tiny bit of a longer story, but you know, as the uh, at the political um, and um, you know career level I was at, you know, I was traveling across the country, I was speaking at conferences. Um, you know, I had the big house, the fancy cars, all those things, and uh, none of the things that I had were sinful or anything like that. But the Lord slowly started asking me to give up certain things in my life. And it really uh, was a big deal when he had had me give up my really expensive sports car to trade in for a Toyota Prius. And I didn't realize it at the time, but that car was becoming a bit of an idol to me. And so that really got me on the path of learning to surrender to God. And I was an amateur boxer for many years off and on. And one day the Lord asked me, what if I spent all that time training uh, and spent it with him instead? And that really, again, just the stripping of, you know, I enjoyed fighting. I enjoyed the the physical aspects of it. The Lord said, no, I want to strip you of that and have you spend more time with me. And that was on the, on the spiritual side, then in the, on the work side. And I didn't realize it at the time, but for about three years, everything that I did at my job really just kind of crumbled in my hands. Uh, You know, I was very, very successful for many years, but this three year period of time, uh, everything I had just just disintegrated. And uh, I was losing revenue, losing employees. And I didn't realize it at the time because I was in the midst of the storm. But it was the Lord stripping me of pride. He was stripping me of self. He was stripping me of selfish ambition. And, you know, listen, at the time, I had no idea any of that was the reason for it. I had no idea that those things were in my heart. It wasn't until after I came out of that that I could see the Lord working. And I will tell you, it was brutally painful. But looking back, it was so needed. I'm so grateful for it. And I'm sure there will be many more of those as, as the years go on. It's like Jesus said, isn't it? Uh, Every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. And that's what he was doing. He was pruning, cutting away the unnecessary shoots growing off the vine that were uh, sapping life. That's right. And, you know, as you prune, you don't grab an old rusty pair of shears, right? Mm -hmm. Use the sharp pair. And when they snip, they cut, they hurt. Uh, You say, ow, this hurts and ow, that hurts. But Jesus is doing that so that there may be more growth. And again, as it's going on, I realize that I I had no idea it was happening. But the Lord is so faithful. Uh, I, I, I see it now and I'm so grateful for it. Well, I know it wasn't legalism for you, but you also were were directed in your in your walk with the Lord to uh, lay aside satellite radio and lay aside video games and and uh, and that type of thing. And I'm sure the Lord replaced that with something. But how was that for you? You know, it, it's funny because he started off small. The first thing he had me give up was satellite radio. He said, I want you to listen to more Bible teachings. So I did. And then it was the video games. And then it was the sports car. And then it was the boxing. Boxing was the big one for me. And, you know, 
he's so faithful because he started off small. That's how the Lord works, right? He gives one small step of obedience after another because he knows how frail and weak we are. Mm. And, you know, honestly, anything I've ever given up for the Lord, I've never regretted. And again, they're not sinful things or legalistic things, but he's doing a work in the heart and he gets to the root of the issue. And I need more of that in my life. Mm. Yeah, that's great. So the process continued, and it's continuing today, isn't it? We were talking before we actually started recording about how stripping doesn't ever end. We're always being right. stripped. And I quoted Second Corinthians 4, We who live are being delivered to death always for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus might be manifest in our mortal flesh. So that's what happens. We're always going through some kind of a stripping. So the pastor who may be listening to this may be thinking, yeah, that's what I'm going through. I'm experiencing some stripping. So encourage that guy right now. You know, I would say the Lord is doing a mighty work. And although you may not see the fruit of it now, if our eyes are upon him during that stripping process, and we truly have that yielded heart and say, Lord, I am yours. I am your bondservant. Have your way in me. It makes the process so much easier. Remember Saul, right? Why do you persecute me? Why are you kicking against the goads? As the Lord is taking us through those stripping processes, I would say, don't try to kick against the goads. Endure the process and allow the Lord to be glorified through it and praise him through it. Mm. We know what James 1 chapter says, right? Count it all joy when you fall into the various trials for the testing of our faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And none of us are perfect. None of us are complete uh, until we reach glory. So that means we're going to be going through those trials, but he's doing a work and we need to praise him for it. Yeah, I, I remember how... It happened for me when I gave up video games. <laughs> I had bought I had buy, bought uh, Michael Tyson's Punch Out for my son on his Nintendo 64 machine, I think it was, or something like that. And I became addicted to that game. And you'd okay. understand that's being a boxer. And so my son one day he said, you know, I think I'm spending too much time on this on these video games. I'm gonna I'm gonna sell my Nintendo. And he did. So it took wow. it took the maturity of my fourteen year old son to to get me out of my <laughs> Mike Tyson's punch out addiction. Isn't that wild? He uses he uses the <laughs> foolish things to confound the wise, right? He did. Speaking of boxing, I, most of the people listening to this are probably going to be men, and I, I men are d dying to hear. I'm sure the answer to this question. So, how was your boxing career? How did that go? So yeah, so you know, I was an amateur and I didn't start boxing until I was 27 years old. Uh, that made me a dinosaur. So uh, I started off in Golden Gloves in New York, and then you know, I fought in uh, Cleveland and I fought here in Cincinnati. And um, you know, I've had the privilege of even stepping in the ring with a professional heavyweight. He was very kind to me. He didn't uh, he didn't knock me out in 30 seconds. So <laughs> uh, you know, in the amateur level, you know, I knew that I wasn't going to be a professional because I started so late. But you know, I'm, I have a, an intense uh, demeanor about me. I, I throw myself full long into anything I do, and uh, I loved it. But I knew it wasn't going to be a career. But when the Lord asked me to stop training, that's where it became difficult because it had become such a part of my life. And the Lord said, no, I want to be all of your life. And uh, that changed my life forever. So what are the similarities between uh, boxing? Because there are all these athletic parallels, right? For, for, sure. for jocks. 
What are the similarities between boxing and the ministry that you've discovered? You know, I always like to tell people sometimes that, you know, stepping in the ring and facing off against someone whose goal is to separate you from consciousness is the (laughs) hardest thing I ever had to do. That is until I entered ministry, right? Oh, wow. And I say that tongue in cheek, but, you know, all joking aside, you remember from Mike Tyson's days in the 1980s and early 90s. Mike Tyson was knocking people out routinely in the first minute or two Mm. of the first round. And everyone would say, oh, I would step in the ring for a million dollars with Mike Tyson for a minute or two. But they were missing the point. What people don't see with boxing, and I'll get to the, the ministry analogy in a moment. But with boxing, no one ever sees the hours spent jumping rope. No one ever sees the running when it's dark and everyone else is sleeping. No one sees the careful dieting while everyone's able to eat at the buffet, whatever they want. They don't get to see that. All they see is the the fight itself when the lights are on and he's in the ring. And I think ministry, particularly the senior pastor, is very similar most folks only see the senior pastor on, you know, call Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, whenever we call it, the church services will be, and the lights are on, and he's behind the pulpit giving the message. Most people never see the hours of study or the hours of prayer and the preparation or the late night phone calls, those things. Nobody gets to see that. And so you see the necessity for discipline, just like a boxer uh, is disciplined. So does a pastor. And Paul even said that, right? We don't fight against the air, beat against the air foolishly, right? We have to be wise in our discipline because we're fighting not a physical battle. We're fighting a spiritual battle. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah, all that stuff that's underneath, you know, this, this, the, the ceiling of things and that people don't see, you know, well, you only work one hour a week. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, right. That kind of a thing. But there's, there's little understanding what that is. And, and for the bivocational pastor, we, we talked about that a little bit the other day. Um, here's, a, here's a man who is burning the oil on both ends. And, uh, you know, he's got a, a family to provide for and a church to pastor at the same time. And you can't do both 100% because you've only got 100%. You know, people That's talk right. about, I'm going to give 110%. Well, there is no 10% above 100%. 100% That's is all you're going to be able to give. So how are you going to slice up that 100%? You know, that's the key. So, you know, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that, Brian, uh, the bivocational pastor? Yeah, you know, we all have 168 hours a week for which to work. From a bivocational pastor standpoint, I would say just be faithful to where the Lord has called you. It's such a challenge, right? Because to your point, you have to provide for the family. And for whatever reason, um, you know, you have to work the the full-time job or whatever along with being the pastor. That's okay, right? Paul was a tent maker, right? But then he would go into the synagogue every week and share the gospel. And so there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing wrong with it. The Lord has called to that. I would say just be faithful where you are. And one word of caution, comparison always destroys contentment. Mm -hmm. When we start comparing, whether it's ministries or cars, whatever, it always destroys the contentment that the Lord desires to have in our heart, right? First Timothy 6, 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. So I would say just a warning on comparison. Don't worry about Who's, you know, church is doing what? Be faithful to where you are and the Lord will bless it. Yes, indeed. Um, That's the key, faithfulness. 
and faithfulness in the small things and not measuring ourselves by others because those who compare themselves among themselves and measure themselves by themselves Paul writes is not wise so that's right not good we gotta we gotta live in our own skin so so for that bivocational pastor he's not going to be able to do what a fully vocational pastor is able to do. He's not going to be able to run all of the different ministries. He's not going to be able to oversee all the different aspects directly. He's going to have to train, equip, release, delegate, and then have a relational connection with those that are doing it. And and do you think that this is true, um, Brian, that that the, the bivocational pastor has to learn how to say no to a lot of things that he could do, but he can't do if he's going to fully invest in his family as well as in his job and do the best job he can do in feeding the flock and equipping them. I mean, there's, there are things to say no to. Absolutely. And those <laughs> things aren't, uh, you know, bad things in and of themselves. They may even be ministry things that he wants to do and, you know, perhaps plan an outreach or go do a mission trip, but he just can't do. And, so often you can find yourself feeling guilty for that. And, and that should be right. We know that that's not from the Lord. So I would say, you know, for that bivocational pastor, as you said, trying to bring others along to help with the delegation, the challenge, right, is whenever you delegate, it's not going to get done the exact way you would do it. So again, there has to be grace there, right. And that understanding, but yeah, having to say no. And, you know, there's an old saying, Never let the things which matter most be at the mercy of the things which matter least. Mm. What matters most? Taking care of our ministry at home, taking care of ministry that the Lord has provided to us, but most of all, our personal walk with the Lord. That personal walk has to be first, then, you know, the family and, and the ministry and all those things, but uh, that, that has to be number one. And so often Satan will try to tempt us with things that appear godly to get our focus off and we can be spread too thin. Back to the transition of Calvary Ch- uh, Chapel, Cincinnati from Pastor Rick to you. Uh, he had a different background in ministry. He, he was with the Horizon, I mean, with the uh, Harvest Christian Fellowship. And, you know, so he had inclinations that were bent in that direction. You came in, he had a different focus and whatever. And uh, so there was change, like you had referred to earlier, that the church had to embrace. But talk about the metric. How do you measure what success looks like to you? And, And what do you think a good, across the board, everybody should embrace this biblical parameter uh, what what do you think an across the board metric is for all pastors in terms of measuring uh, the uh, the success, if you will, of the church? Sure. Well, we know it's not nickels and it's not noses, right? Just because more people are coming doesn't mean God is blessing. Just because tithing is going up doesn't mean God is blessing. I believe it comes down to fulfilling what Jesus said, go ye into all the world and make disciples. And so for me, that's the barometer for quote unquote success is what we're doing 
pleasing to the Lord? Are we fulfilling his command, the great commission and make disciples? And, you know, as you look out, are you seeing people grow in the faith? Are you seeing a hunger for the word? Are you seeing them, you know, step out of their comfort zone and do things for the Lord that perhaps they haven't ever done before? For me, that's how I view, call it success in the ministry. Now, are there always those things where folks leave or, or whatever yet? That's always part of it. But one day I'm going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account. And I want to be able to say, I did the best job that I could being led by the Spirit, making disciples. We have to ask ourselves the question as pastors, is the church I'm pastoring healthy? Is it a healthy church? And we have to know how to, how to quantify the answer. And I almost hesitate to bring up this subject because there are those of us that are glass half empty people and glass half full people and the glass half empty people are going to say, of course, the church isn't healthy. Look at all the problems. Look at all the situations. Look at all the people, you know, all the de deficiencies. And the glass half full people may have the opposite perspective. But there is an objective way of measuring if the church is healthy. And you've, you've identified some of it. Are the people growing? Are they stepping out in faith, pursuing what the Lord has embraced them to do and to be? Those kinds of things. I love that. I think that's tremendous. Yeah, and you know, I think one of the the most exciting things for me personally is to watch people pray with others. Um, you know, whether they're strangers or not in the church, shouldn't matter because if you're going to go out into the grocery store and pray for someone, well, you kind of got to have practice in the church first. So, you know, we actively solicit at the end of most services and say, before you leave here today, pray with someone, pray with them. Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer mm. right so we we need to we need to practice that because if folks can get comfortable here just walking up to someone perhaps they don't know all that well and say well hey how can i pray for you then man they'll go out to the grocery store it becomes part of a lifestyle and that's one of the things we're we're um, excited about is just calling it lifestyle evangelism it's not always about a big event or a crusade or anything like that those things are great and they're necessary but to make disciples and share the gospel is everyday activity. It's part of our lifestyle. It should be part of who we are. And that's one of the most exciting things to see. That's good stuff. So are the people responding to that? Are they praying for one another? Most do. Yeah. yeah, most do. You know, some people, it's, you know, because they're such good friends, they just say, oh, hey, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But what's really exciting is when somebody will go to, you know, you kind of get a feel for who knows people and who don't. And when you kind of see people that you don't normally see together, you know, called they sit on opposite sides of the fellowship and after service you see them praying together oh man that that's amazing because you're watching the lord's doing a work there they are humbling themselves or saying okay i'm going to step out in faith and man that's if the, if the you know they'll just continue to fan that into flame who knows what the lord may do yeah that's that's a really great idea and taking that this approach out into the normal flow of relationships in, in our in our daily lives uh, one of the podcast interviews that we've done, we've done a few with Danny Lehman, who's uh, one of the leaders in YWAM, and especially in the Pacific Rim. And he oversees or enables a, a lot of evangelists, young evangelists. And one of the things that's going on is they're using that approach in their evangelism. They're, they're just walking up to people on the streets and they're just saying, uh, is there any health issue that you have that we can pray for right now and they'll, they'll focus on health issues and then they'll say well everybody's got a health issue right so they'll they'll yeah. mention their health issue and then they'll say can we pray for you right now 
and you know some are self-conscious and probably say no but they pray for people and it's not infrequent that god heals a person's malady on the spot that happens which yeah. opens the door for the gospel and even the show of love and praying for somebody opens the door for the gospel in an amazing way uh boy the mission field is out there it's available people are more hungry and open than we realize but what a great entrance into it isn't it just caring and loving for people it sure is and you know right on because our church is in a in a strip mall and right next door to us is the one of the longest running bars in cincinnati literally on the other side of our children's ministry a few doors down we have the county's mental health center as well so we're right in the middle (laughs) and you know, one of the things we do is we play Chuck Smith sermons 24-7 outside. Mm. And you'll get people who wander from the bar and just sit there and listen to teachings. Wow. Or people from the mental health. And because that is the mission field, right? Uh, we have a, a big placard as you leave our fellowship that says, you are now entering the mission field, Matthew 28, 19. And we just need to make sure that we remain kingdom focused. It's so easy to allow the uh, whirlwind of what we're experiencing today to get our eyes off of the coming kingdom of the Lord. And man, the, the fields are harvest or harvest ready, I should say. They're Amen. right. Amen to that. We got to be on the kingdom, not on the stuff that's going on in our very confused society right now. That's Speaking right. of that, you, uh, you had a challenging COVID year. It has uh, developed into something good. It's positive, obviously. The Lord has worked in a good way. But uh, you you mentioned that you had lost some people because of COVID-related decisions. Many churches have experienced that. But some things have happened since then. What's been going on? Yeah, you know, I think the important thing is to remember that it's not our church. It's not our job to try to grow it or anything like that. It's the Lord's work. So again, that faithfulness, right? And so uh, the Lord had told me back in January of this year, because we did, we lost a lot of folks, we lost a lot of leadership. And uh, the Lord had told me that we're about to turn a corner. And what we're seeing is folks leaving other churches because they're not being fed. We're not trying to steal sheep or anything like that, but there's a hunger for the word. The fourth largest church in America is 20 minutes away from us. Mm. And this is a very seeker-friendly church. They serve alcohol during service sometimes on Sunday mm. mornings. It's it's crazy. They'll bring in rodeos, all sorts of weird stuff. But we see people leaving churches like that. They're saying, you know, I'm not being fed. What does the word of God say? And, you know, we go all the way through Old Testament and New Testament. We just taught through Leviticus during last year's uh, the peak of the coronavirus on Sundays. We're in Deuteronomy now. And people are like, oh, I you know, I haven't ever really read the Old Testament or studied Deuteronomy. And we just want to point them to Jesus and have them have that same hunger for the word because the Holy Spirit is going to speak to them, but they need to establish that love relationship with the word. And that's what we're here to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. So your church has turned a corner and um, you mentioned that you're back to your pre-COVID numbers. And, and you've yes, even sir. added an assistant pastor during that time, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, the, there was too much uh, for you know, that needed to be done to minister to the body. And I could see that I was not able to do it uh, all, certainly, nor do much of it effectively myself. So, yeah, we had an assistant pastor yeah. last year. At the height of COVID, it was uh, July 4th last year when COVID was going on. We're like, well, we're going to step out in faith. And the Lord's blessed it. Yeah, that's great. That's outstanding. Well, Brian, as we sort of head towards the conclusion of our time together, I want you to take a couple of minutes and just focus on 
the pastor that is listening to this or to the leader that's listening to us, bivocational or not, and, and just share what is on your heart to encourage or strengthen or challenge that pastor? Sure. You know, I would say, and we kind of talked about it earlier, it's such a blessing to me as a, as a man who's only been, you know, called in the senior pastor for three years to have those godly influences of seasoned men. And Bill, you and I were at a pastor's conference uh, less than a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, I look across that room and I see battle-tested men who continue to be faithful. And that's such an encouragement to me because we all know how it is when the nights are long and you can't sleep and you're battling in prayer or you're struggling with something. We know that there are other men who've gone through the same thing that we can call up and say, hey, can I, can I ask you to pray for me? Here's what I'm struggling with. And they can give you a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. It's just like, oh man, that, that's exactly what I needed to hear. So I want to encourage the pastors out there to make sure, number one, you're available for others. The Lord has called you specifically to this role. He doesn't need you. He's called you. And what a privilege that is. But we need to make sure that we're available not only to other pastors, but that we have other pastors whom we can also call and say, hey, have you ever experienced this? And again, not saying that their word is, you know, the Holy Spirit speaking, but they can give you perspective and wisdom, advice, and just that fellowship. Pastors can oftentimes feel so alone mm -hmm. because they're just in a different spot in ministry. It's so critical to have at least a handful of other pastors whom you can call no matter what and say, hey, I'm struggling right now. Can you pray with me? And I would say if you don't have that, then call up some Calvary pastors around you and just say, hey, I'm Brian. I want to introduce myself. I'm hoping that we can maybe talk on the phone once a month. You can be 8, 10, 14 hours away. It doesn't matter. The Lord hears those prayers. And I would just encourage you to have that fellowship with one another. It's a blessing. Hmm, that's great. Thanks for that, Brian. So appreciate that. So we've been talking with Pastor Brian Hill of Calvary Chapel, Cincinnati, Ohio. And you can access some of Brian's teachings at cccincinnati.org. That's cccincinnati.org. And Brian is serving the Lord with all zeal and with all humility there in Cincinnati. And we appreciate um, him spending some time with us today on Strength for Today's Pastor. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Thank you both for everything. Really appreciate it. Strength for Today's Pastor is sponsored by Pointman Ministries. You can find us at PointmanMinistries.com. That's spelled P-O-I-M-E-N Ministries.com. If something in today's program prompts a question or comment, or if you have a topic idea for a future episode, just shoot us an email at StrongerPastors at gmail.com. That's StrongerPastors at gmail.com. May the Lord bless you as you serve Him, His pastors, and His church.